Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing, and it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are special and amazing and he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Hey friends, this is Kat Lee, and today Shauna Nequist is with us to talk about her new book, Present Over Perfect. As we're transitioning from the summer to the school year, her message is so timely just to help us slow down and to start the busy fall season with a really fresh perspective. Uh, But before we get into our chat today with Shauna, I want to say a huge thank you to Plan to Eat. We could not do this show without them. They're an online menu planning site and they make recipe management and menu planning and shopping list making and all of that completely simple. I've been using them for years and years and I adore them. You can get a free 30-day trial by going to plantoeat.com forward slash inspired to action. Now we had a couple audio issues that we tried really hard but just could not get edited out and I wanted to say a quick apology for that but I think you're going to enjoy this conversation so much with Shauna that you're not even going to really notice them. So let's go ahead and just dive into our chat today with Shauna Nequist. Hey Shauna, how are you today? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm excited to have you today. I'd love for you just to take a minute to tell us a little bit about you and your family. Sure. Um, I am married to Aaron, who is a pianist and a songwriter and worship leader and a pastor at our church. Um, we've been married for almost 15 years, actually 15 years next month. Um, and we have two boys who are almost five and almost nine. Mac is almost five and, or almost 10. Mac is almost five and Henry's almost 10. And they are just a total delight. And we live in Chicago, which is where I grew up. I actually live on the same street as my brother and about five minutes away from my parents and 15 minutes away from my in-laws. And so we have this like really, we're so, so, so thankful to live in this really like kind of deep roots family and friend that friends that have known us forever kind of world. And um, I'm a writer. I love to write more than that. I love to read. I'm a total hardcore bookworm. Um, and I love to cook and gather people around our table. Um, and yeah, I think those are like the fundamentals. I think that's all you need to really know. I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, you've been on this journey the last four years of of slowing down and, and you just re- released a book called Present Over Perfect. And I would love to hear kind of what started you on this journey. Was there a breaking point? Was it a slow dissolve into this life that you weren't happy with? Or was it like a sudden thing that you're like, oh my goodness, no, this is it. And something needs to change. Well, you know, uh, like anything, it was both. Like there were signs all along the way. There were moments of frustration. Um, There was a kind of almost like how sometimes you have a ringing in your ears and it rings for so long, you don't notice it anymore. But, you know, so part of the nature of the problem though, was I was living so fast and so frantically that I wasn't paying attention to 
what my insides were saying, to what my emotions were saying, to what my body was saying. So when I look at it, you know, from here, the signs were so clear, but I was not interested in listening. I was just interested in keeping everything moving, keeping everything going. And so, uh, but there was definitely a moment I was um, speaking at an event in Dallas and I had been, I think it was my third time in Dallas that month, which I like Dallas, but that's too many times to be here in a month. And if it was the summer, then, well, that's yeah. just it. Well, and it's, uh, um, you know, when you speak at a retreat, you never leave a ho- you never leave the hotel. You are working all the time, you know, whatever. Um, and so I wasn't experiencing the best of Dallas, let's just say that. Um, and I was missing my family. I was gone for the third weekend in a row, and it had been a very long fall. And I just had this moment in between sessions where I went, usually in between sessions, I would sit with the people at my table, and we would talk, or I'd go for a walk outside or whatever. And this time, I went straight back to my room. And I laid on the bed, shoes still on, just looked up at the ceiling. And I was like, I don't, um, I built this life, but I don't, I don't want to have to carry it anymore. It's too heavy for me. I, um, the amount of energy that it takes for me to continue the schedule that I have set up for myself is destroying my inner life. And I've become someone I don't want to be in order to carry the weight of my life. And I want out, not like in an existential way, like I, you know, but like in a, um, the path I had put myself on and I'm responsible for it a hundred percent. The path I put myself on was no longer a path I wanted to continue down. And in that moment I felt something shift. So I came back and I told my husband, like I, I, you know, with a job like mine and like many people's, if you're freelance or you work on events, you know, you're booked out 18 months, let's say. So I knew things weren't going to change overnight, but I also knew in that moment something had shifted and I wasn't going back. So did you find that you ended up having to disappoint a lot of people? Um, you, you said, that, you know, things were booked 18 months out, so you obviously didn't just suddenly cancel everything. But there was a point at which you had to start saying, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. Was that hard for you? It was really, really hard for me. And what I realized, so, you know, so I had this moment where I needed to change things. And then, and then I had to actually change things. You know, I had to, like, learn. Obviously, the skills that had got me into this were not the same skills that were going to get me out of it. And the skills that had gotten me into this were saying, yes, saying, yes, I'll be a good girl. I'll be responsible. I'll, I, I, I'm a team player. I'll show up whenever you need me. I'll never let you down. Saying all of those things were what got me into this place. And so then I had to learn essentially a whole new set of skills and language, which was, um, I don't know if that's going to work for my family or, I don't know if that's going to work for my body and my soul, or I might need more time, or I might not be able to do that event this year, maybe only next year. And those were very difficult conversations for me. Um, by personality, I tend to be a really loyal person. So if we've met twice, I'm like, you know what? That person needs me. We're, we're on the same team for life and I need to really help them. So what that means is there are a lot of people at whose events I've been speaking for years that felt like friends that I had invested a lot of time in. And to tell my friends, I'm not going to help you with this thing was excruciating for me. But what helped me along the way is it was, it was, it was very, I was really bad at it. Um, is I started thinking of things in terms of concentric circles. So at the center of the circle is my relationship with God, my inner life, my soul, my body, right? Immediately outside of that is uh, my husband and my voice. Uh, And you could even functionally just put those all together. That's the center. Then there's um, my very closest friends, my immediate family, but like 10 people, not 50, right? Then there's that neighborhood and they go out and out and out. And it really helps me to actually tell myself like, okay, that. That one college that has had you come speak the last four years, 
that person is not your best friend. <laughs> this is not a major soul heartbreak for them when you say you can't come. They're just like, shoot, got to fill a chapel, right? But it didn't feel like that to me. It felt like I was just like uh, wreaking havoc upon, you know. And so it helped me to say the nature of life is you're going to disappoint somebody. And I, uh, for a lot of years, I've been disappointing the people closest to me in order to please the people out there. And now I'm going to change that math. And I'm going to, as, as much as I am able, really work hard to not disappoint the people in this inner circle and become increasingly comfortable with disappointing people further and further out in those concentric circles. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. And I actually, I've been quoting you for a while because I, um, I think you were on maybe Heather McFadden's God Centered Mom podcast and, and at some point in time, and you said something along the lines of, we're always going to disappoint somebody. We just need to make sure we're disappointing the right people. And ever since I heard that, I was like, oh, that's so good. Well, and I think that's um, uh, for women, especially for Christians, for moms, there is sort of this weird narrative that if you're doing it right, you won't disappoint anyone. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we go for that. We're like, oh, no, if I'm disappointing anyone at all, that means I'm probably doing it wrong. And it's been really helpful for me to just say like, no, 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 no. Disappointing someone is built into the system of a healthy life. Um, part of being a whole healthy person is that there are a certain amount of people who are going to ask you to do things you just can't do. So it's not an aberration. That's not like an exception. Um, you, you kind of have to plan for that in the system. And that's helped me get more comfortable with it. So probably in your head, when you first thought of, you know, when you first started just disappointing people, quote unquote, um, you probably imagine that there's going to be like wailing and gnashing of teeth and that people are going to be super upset with you. Has that ever come to fruition or has that been something that has just been a fear in your head that hasn't come to reality? Um, to be perfectly honest, some of both. Um, I would say overwhelmingly people have been like, cool. Like, I, honestly, they're probably like, I just didn't really care that much, right? Like, I just, again, I needed someone to speak at, on, at Friday Chapel and you're not breaking my heart, you know? Um, so some people have just been like, I get it. That's fine. And then some people have been amazing and, and said things like, wow. Um, the fact that you're saying this to me means I could say this to someone or the fact that you're inviting me into kind of the behind the scenes of your life and letting me know that you're kind of shifting the math makes me want to shift the math in my life. Or they say like, I just, I love the, you know, kind of the example you're giving me. So that has been wonderful. And then to be totally honest, there have been a couple work experiences and a couple like friend experiences where people have said like, you are not giving me what I want from you. Or I, I like, I'm, I want more from you than you're, than you are currently giving me. And I've had to kind of stand in that pressure and say, you're exactly right. I am not, I am, I am not giving you what you want me to give. I, there were, um, yeah. And I, I can think of two in particular, one work one and one friend one where I had to just say like, we are having a mismatch of expectations and I understand that you're disappointed and that's okay with me. I'm sorry. Let's take it it's time. Yeah, 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 totally. And the friend one, I worked really hard to work that out um, so that we could continue in a little bit different way of being friends. But the work one was really hard. It, it, it was, I had to, uh, they kind of pulled out all the stops um, and it felt to me really like, kind of, you know, like, oh, I can't believe you said that. You're below the belt, you know? Um, I don't live for the feedback of other people. I live for the sense of wholeness and connectedness within my inner circle of my, my faith and my family and the people closest to me. And so as long as I remind myself, like the approval of that person out there 
as hard as it is to not have it right now, is not actually something that brings to my life what I thought it did. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And do you feel like you've seen the fruit of that within that, you know, the, those center, the center of that concentric circle? Have you, do you feel like, even though there's been disappointments on the outskirts, have you seen the fruit of that focus and that being present in those inner circles? Oh, a thousand percent. It's been worth it in every way. I would say it has improved my marriage dramatically. Um, it, my, my parenting life is, um, I'm much more proud of the parent I am now than the one I was a couple of years ago. And then even that very kind of close inner circle of friends, I would say there is a, there's a solidness to those relationships. They know how deeply I care about them. They know that I'll drop everything for them. Um, uh, they do, they're not watching me give the best parts of myself to strangers uh, and then come home empty for them. They're watching me uh, invest deeply in this life that we're building here. And that has changed a lot, I think. Would you say that's pretty much just from the act of being more present, of, of, of slowing down and saying no? Or have there been other things that you've done in addition to that that have helped strengthen those relationships? I would say there's, there's kind of two separate tracks for me. One has been sort of the, uh, the inner, the inner world. So I, um, I go to a counselor that I love. I go to a spiritual director that I'm crazy about. I spend time in silence every day. I practice centering prayer every day. Um, my spiritual groundedness and connectedness has been, uh, I have reclaimed that. That's something I grew up with and I've had at certain seasons in my life. And it's just something that got edged out by the franticness of my life. Again, by my own choice, my own bad choice. But that sense of kind of spiritual groundedness changes sort of the tone and tenor to everything in my life. And then the other, the, the kind of the more like top level, um, surface level stuff is I really have made a lot of changes in terms of just the decision-making process, uh, what needs to be done today? What's the most important? So I've always been a get-it-done girl. I like a to-do list. I like feeling a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. I remember telling Aaron at one point, like, I just wish, I wish there was a, like, I wish God could whisper down from heaven, like at, at 5 p.m. ideally, or like even 8 p.m. or like 10 p.m. and just be like, you're done. You can stop doing stuff. Like you just, you can just like relax right now. And my husband looked at me like an alien and he was like, you just relax when you're tired. Right. And I was like, what? I don't, what kind of world do you live in? Um, but that's something I've really been working on is, is kind of erasing that, um, punching a time card mentality and replacing it with a, today you have the opportunity to connect deeply with God, with the world he created and with the people you love. Um, how are you going to spend your energy to do those things? And then in the cracks, what are the various business things of life that have to get done? That's really hard for me though. Like if you could, if I, if, <laughs> my, my kitchen table that I'm sitting at right now is literally covered. Like I had to carve out a space for my laptop, which is small, um, with just stuff I haven't put away yet from being out of town from hosting a party. It just, it's terrible. It's ugly. It's not like a cute mess. It's not like an anthropology mess. It's like plastic Meyer bags of paper napkins and Tupperware. Like it's ugly. It's real life mess. It's yeah. It's, uh, there's like some gum, a pack of gum. I mean, it's, it's bad. Um, and, uh, I have had to tell myself, well, this morning I had only a couple of minutes to be with my boys before they left uh, for school. And now I want to be with you. And then I'm going to be with the next person I'm talking with. And the highest priority is not a clean table. The highest priority is presence and connection. Mm -hmm. 
And that's not my nature. My nature is like, let's get the real stuff done. And then if there's time to connect afterwards, what I'm realizing now is that wasn't the real stuff. This is the real stuff. Connecting with people, enjoying the world God made. um, That's the real stuff. And if my table's dirty, that uh, I think like existentially we'll make it through that. I love that. I feel a little bit called out as you're sharing all that. I'm like, ooh, yeah, I need to, I, I need to do that. Oh, that's 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 really good. And I know that you talk about the dangers of like fake resting, and you know, housework when you're in your pajamas while the rest of your family actually relaxes. And that would totally be me. And and I think another another fake rest that I would tend to do would be you know, like just sitting down and then scrolling through Facebook or something that is not actually relax, that is relaxing, but not restful. Totally. Um, someone was just asking me about this the other day about uh, social media. And I actually, these days don't spend much time on it because I feel that same thing. It does feel sort of like a fake version of something I am really looking for, whether that's connection or rest or whatever. And so um, more and more often these days, when I pick up my phone, um, I'll close my social media apps and I'll either text a human living person with whom I have a friendship or I'll open my Kindle app and read a book. And I find that even if I, so it's the same, t- let's say 10 minutes in between things that I could spend on social media. Um, 10 minutes of reading a novel that I love is like, like the greatest medicine in the world to me or a short text conversation with someone I really care about. That's really important to me as well. And so I find that I'm these days I'm intentionally using my phone for different things. And that really helps me. So I have a little bit of a hard question for you, maybe. So you have accomplished a lot. Um, You've written lots of books. You speak. You would be what most people perceive as being very successful. What would you say to the woman, the mom listening who hasn't arrived but feels the need to slow down, but she can't say, oh, I've already kind of accomplished this. And so maybe I feel like I can slow down, but she's just, you know, on the cusp of doing something that would feel successful, but it's scary to stop now because she doesn't feel like she's accomplished anything yet. Totally. Well, that's, it's a fascinating question. I can answer it a lot of different ways. One of the things, so I'll answer it at least two ways. Um, Success is relative. And by no means did I arrive at some agreed upon point in my career and then step off a fast moving train. Um, there, there is a whole team of people around me who have no trouble <laughs> telling me what the next steps are for me. Right. Um, so it can look to one person like I've arrived at a certain place, but there are a lot of other places my team would like me to get. And um, I didn't say to them, Hey, once I get to this mile marker, I'm going to ratchet back a little bit. I said, Hey, I'm out and we need to find a new way of doing things or I'm not doing it at all. And they were like, uh, okay. Ah, well, so (laughs) this was not a well thought out set of business decisions. This was a crash and sometimes it takes a crash. Um, but I would also say, um, success in my view Uh, professional success at the expense of your body and soul and family is not success. Um, And so the baseline is, are you thriving as a human person connected to God, to his world and to the people that he's put in your life? And if those things are happening, I consider you a great success. And if beyond that, you're able to do some work that feels valuable to you, then like you're knocking it out of the park. And, and I think that's great. And I think the goal is that we're all kind of working on that all the time. But I, I, 
I take professional success with kind of a grain of salt these days because of what I know it cost me along the way. And so, um, I will always, and I will always be a person who works. I love to work. I never considered, I never considered not working. Um, that's kind of one of those things in my DNA. I think the world, I, I like, I love being a writer. I love getting to kind of contribute something, but, um, Glennon Melton, who I adore says, uh, the thing you have to keep in mind with all this stuff is there's no there, there, there is actually no point where you will wake up in the morning and be like, Oh my gosh, I'm totally a professional success. No one thinks that ever anywhere. And she totally is a professional success, you know? Um, but no one, no one like that, that doesn't, it's like, we think that the idea of professional success is going to crawl down in our soul and heal something. And we're going to wake up in the morning and be like, Oh, that sense of groundedness and acceptance and love that I've been aching for all my life came because I sold X amount of books. Thank goodness. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. So um, as Anne Lamott says, it's an inside job. So that, that, that aching on the inside, do I matter? Am I loved? Am I enough? Will never be met by professional success. It will only be met by uh, the intentional um, risky, dangerous practice of being with God, largely in silence and letting him remind you the truth about you. But it's never something you can earn professionally or otherwise. And so I think once we get that out of the way, then we're free to work or not work or do whatever we want or work part-time or work freelance or start something or switch careers. And it's all just part of like getting to be a, a human on this planet and do fun stuff, but it never will give us that deep feeling in our soul. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So what does that look like for the person listening that might be thinking, okay, well, you know, that sounds right. And, and I think that's true. But in my day-to-day -day reality, I value that achievement, that success so much. What step could someone take today or tomorrow to own that truth, to make it feel more real in their lives? You know, what, what is, I guess we could even start with what did... What steps did you take to get with God and to sit in silence? Um, and frankly, in today's day and age, it's hard to start to sit in silence. Was that a journey for you? It was very hard. And I would say um, some of why I feel really, really excited about this book and about these ideas is because I, throughout this journey, I've read so many great books about um, like contemplative spirituality or the, the discipline of silence or, but you read them and, and like, like 10 pages in, you realize, wait a minute, this person is like a hardcore introvert who on purpose lives in the desert. Okay. Like, <laughs> we're not really on this. We're not like starting from the same place. Um, I have spent my whole life creating noise. It's like my jam. It's like what I do. Um, I can create chaos anywhere, whether that's like, I can make a party out of nothing, or I can just make like, um, some weird project out of nothing. Like I, I literally told my husband, so the book comes out, you know, it's like right now it's, this is a busy season. And I was like, Hey, just FYI, this is prime time for me to like decide to put an addition on our house. Could you remind me not to do that right now? <laughs> like literally, um, this would be a prime time for me to decide to go to like Europe for the weekend. Let's, let's not, I'm not doing any of those things. Um, but my impulse is toward chaos. Um, and I didn't totally understand that about myself. I thought it was just a weird quirk. And then I slowly realized over time through pain, like how you learn anything that that propensity toward chaos was a way of hiding from the silence. Um, I kept myself busy. I kept myself achieving. I kept myself running in order to never have to face the silence. So it wasn't just a weird coincidence that there wasn't silence in my life. 
I had made the system that way. And it was because when I, when I experienced silence, I experienced the emptiness of not knowing, am I loved? Do I matter? Am I okay in this world? Am I safe? Um, and so the practice of silence felt really scary. Um, I had to confront my feelings of my life doesn't match the picture in my head. I don't think I'm living according to my values. I have regrets about the way I'm parenting. Like I, all of us, like, why do that? Turn up the music, put an addition on the house, do something, anything not to have to face those feelings. Right. But, um, as I journeyed, I, for me, centering prayer became, um, a very important part of that, especially because centering prayer is less about, uh, filling up the silence with my own thoughts and more about pushing away my own thoughts and letting God's truth be the center of my thoughts and my mind and my heart. And I'm terrible at it. Um, I'm by no means like an example of it. I, I think when I think I'm doing it for 20 minutes, I'm doing it for like two and a half minutes. Um, but it's helping me and I'm growing in it. And so what I do, and I know this sounds like something a five-year-old would do, but I picture a red heart, like a little, like a Valentine heart. And I remind myself what God says about his love, that it's for all of us, that it isn't earned, that there's nothing you can do in the course of the day to get more love. And there's nothing you can do in the course of a day to squander it or ruin it. And I let that thought be the most present thing in my mind for several minutes. And by that, I probably mean two. Um, and it helps me. And I do it at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. And um, I know it sounds like such a small thing, but when all of life feels frantic and swirling and running a couple minutes that are deeply connected to God, to the, to the holiness, to the sacredness of who he is, it, it's a really profound thing, or at least it has been for me. I found that even just going against the grain of, you know, we do tend to fill every waking minute with something. And going against that natural tendency to just, you know, pick up our phone or turn on a TV or read the newspaper or read a book or whatever, and being intentional or even in our quiet time. You know, we could go from listening to a worship song straight to praying through our exact prayer list so we get everything checked off and then reading the verses that we're supposed to read and journal and then, okay, we're done. And we don't take that time to just sit and be. And what I love especially about that is that it extends the day. You know, we're all, always saying we don't have enough time and, and life is rushing by. But, you, you know, you just said it felt like I was sitting there for 20 minutes and it was actually two. And so just the whole process of being and sitting and listening to God just slows time down in a sense. Absolutely. I think you're exactly right. And I've had to, um, I've had to realize there, there's this kind of cultural conversation we're having right now where it's like, oh my gosh, everybody's too busy. Everything's too fast. Everything. Um, yes. And if we allow ourselves to be part of that, uh, we're contributing to it. And I've had to really take responsibility for that and say, not everybody lives a totally crazy out of control life. I'm choosing that. And it's easy in our culture, but it's still a choice I'm making. And so what are the choices that I can make to stand against that way of living? Um, and those are not natural choices for me, but they're really beneficial ones. So has that ever stepped into the arena of parenting, like choosing what your kids do, choosing what your kids don't do? Oh, totally. We are, we're like a little extreme on this and some of it is just our kids' personalities and ages, but, um, it's like in the summertime we move to the lake and they don't have a ton of other friends there and they don't have sports there and they don't have classes there. We just play together. We go to the beach every day. We go out on the boat every day. We 
spend a lot of unassigned, unscheduled time together. And that's the way I grew up. Um, and I really loved it. It was really special time for me and my family. And my parents were kind of like, oh, really? You wanted to play soccer? I guess play during the year. <laughs> like, and, and that's what we do. And I know that's the way a lot of parents don't do it. And I would never tell anybody else how to parent their kids. For us in this season with these particular two kids, that unassigned time to play together is like gold. Um, and, and at home even, we're not super structured. We joke about it. Uh, I am widely known in my uh, group of friends as like really a low key parent, (laughs) really like it makes them a little bit nervous. Um, but what we value is a lot of time together and home as a safe place. Um, and a lot of kind of unassigned time, unstructured play. And that, that's what works for us. I love it. As you're sharing that, I'm we we talked actually before the interview started about a mutual friend we have in common, and I definitely see that friendship and and where the connections are now after chatting with you. <laughs> yes, she and I have a lot in common. I think. <laughs> um, okay, so what would you say to the mom listening who can't go to the lake, and and maybe life is really busy because maybe her husband left. Um, and she's a single mom and she has four kids and she has to work and take care of them. Is there any way for her to be present and to slow down? Totally. And I would say, um, I would say two things. Um, absolutely. First is there will always be seasons in our lives where we have more and less freedom about our time. I totally get that. Um, and on one hand, a lot of what I'm talking about is time, but a lot of what I'm talking about is way under, underneath that. It's understanding your value. It's living with a deep sense of God's love for you and the way that that kind of grounds and reorders everything. So um, I would say if that particular mom is able to connect with God in such a way that before she even gets out of bed in the morning, she has a deep sense of her own value and worth and love and that there's nothing that she has to earn or prove or... Um, kind of push through in order to be found valuable on this earth, then that allows her to do the work she has to do and pay the bills that she has to pay. But it's not about whether or not she's valuable on this planet. Does that distinction make sense? Yes. yes. Um, and then also I would say part of being present, and this is, this is hard for me. I do uh, a friend of mine said the other day, I'm really good at giving and creating good. I'm not good at receiving good. I thought that was an interesting way to say it. I think many of us, especially those of us who tend to be kind of doers, achievers, list people, we're good at bringing the meal. We're not good at eating the meal someone brought us. Um, We're good at letting someone cry on our shoulder. We're not good at crying in real time on someone else's shoulder. Um, And so I would say my experience is that the more I show up anyway, even in my mess and ask for help, the more the people in my life want to carry me and support me. And so I would say um, most of us have a deep well of people who would love to care for us, but we don't let them because we don't think they'll catch us. Mm-hmm. And I've been, I would say I've been experimenting with that the last three years and like, whoa, can they roll with me when I'm this messy? Can I even ask for help on this? Um, can they be with me in this? Can they help carry this? The answer is almost always yes. And so um, in our little circle of friends, both family and friends, we do a lot of, you know, we talk a lot about the village and we help with each other's kids and we bring over meals and we share and and we show up at each other's houses unannounced. And um, 
most people I know would like to live more like that, not less like that. They just don't know how to start it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we expect other people like, Hey, if someone else was really vulnerable with me, that would be great. But you have to be the one to start that. You have to be the one to say, Hey, I'm kind of drowning this week. If you guys brought over dinner this week, could I bring it over for you next week? Or, Hey, this week is just, you know, I'm kind of crashing. If you had my kid over for a play date for a couple hours, I promise I'd do it for you next week. That kind of connected. This is really what I need stuff, I think is what forms really intimate, connected, long-term bonds. Um, but a lot of us are afraid to start that conversation or we're better at meeting someone else's needs. And I think there's something really sacred and humble about saying like, guess what? I'm the one with needs right now. I love that too, because it kind of opens this give and take because maybe they're the same way. Maybe they wouldn't ask, but if we ask and offer, then they can feel the freedom to ask as well. And, you know, they can say, oh yeah, well now yeah, next week would be great. I was really needing somebody to help me, but I just was afraid to ask. Absolutely. And I think a lot of us, um, that's the heart of it. We're afraid to ask. We don't believe that people will actually love us if we stop performing and being the one who's always bringing and helping. And my journey has taught me that my, my friends don't need me to be nearly as efficient as much as they need me to be honest and connected. So good. Okay. Can you speak just a little bit to, um, as you're talking about just the underlying elements, uh, knowing our value, knowing our worth in Christ, what role has going to outside sources played in that? You talked about going to a counselor and a spiritual director, and I know that sometimes people who don't want to ask for help, especially don't want professional help. And so you know, how has that benefited you? And what would you say to the woman thinking that might help her, but she's afraid to go? Well, you know, I actually think it's kind of a funny thing. Um, it's okay. So think about it this way. Let's say your back and shoulders are just killing you. They're just killing you. Would you say to your neighbor, Hey, could you give me like a 30 minute back rub? You would never, but you would call a professional and say like, I need a professional massage at a spa in order to feel better. Right? So in some situations, paying for something is actually less uncomfortable, right? So I kind of think of it this way. Like if I've got something's happening in me emotionally or spiritually that I just can't get my footing on, would I rather blather about it to all my friends all the time, hoping they can help me? Or would I rather pay a professional person who's been trained so that I don't have to talk about it all day long with like my friends? And who can give you that efficient help so that you can work through it that much faster? Totally. And if you have, you know, like vulnerability issues or like you don't want to like, um, you don't want to put anyone out. You're like, oh, no, this is your job. I'm actually employing you. And now you can like pay your rent. So if you think about it in those terms, you're like, you know what? This is, I am supporting your, you know, your kids going to college because I have so many emotional problems, you know, um, that has really helped me. And I have loved having a place. If you're the kind of person who always feels like they have to have it together or they have to have an answer or they have to be supporting other people. To have a place where you don't have to be that, and actually it's your job to be the opposite of that, to allow yourself to be cared for, to allow yourself to kind of reveal the full mess, it's so sacred and transforming. And then little by little, you learn to bring that person out of just the counselor's office into regular life. You, you start to realize like, it's okay to just have all these questions. It's okay to have all these fears. We're all walking around with them and it's okay to talk about them. But the counselor's office or the spiritual director's office can be really good kind of training wheels for how to 
sit right in the mess of your life and be okay anyway. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's, that's so good. Um, Shauna, can you tell us where people can find you online and where they can get a copy of your book? Sure. So um, I have a blog, but it's terribly neglected, but <laughs> the info is there. So you can go to shaunaniquist.com or presentoverperfect.com. Um, we're doing a, a really exciting tour this fall called the Belong Tour, and all that info is on the Sean and Equist calendar page. So if we're coming to a city kind of close to you, you can get tickets for that. Um, and then all the book information is at presentoverperfect.com. We're, um, we actually have a cool thing. You know, it'll be sold on Amazon and all, you know, independent bookstores, but Barnes & Noble is doing an exclusive limited signed edition, which is pretty fun. So if you want your book to come already signed, you can get that from Barnes & Noble. They've been really great to work with on this one. Very cool. Well, I've really enjoyed reading it. I love the cover of it. My family and I went to Mackinac Island last year for vacation. Um, and so I just, that was probably, we have this goal of hitting the lower 48 before my oldest goes to college. And so we've been lots of places in the U.S. And Mackinac Island was definitely my favorite so far. It was just so beautiful and peaceful. So I love the cover of your book and I love reading all your lake stuff, even though I think it's a different lake. Um. Well, yeah, I suppose it is technically. It's like right on the divide, right? Yeah, I think it's like Lake Huron. Yeah, I think that little bridge is like the divide between Michigan and Huron. I okay. believe. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, but still a great lake. Yeah. Still, still one of the five. I'll take it. Especially for a Texan, where did you know Texas has no natural lakes? You're kidding! I did not know that. Yeah. Well, okay, <laughs> maybe spreading falsehoods. I heard that somewhere, and I've heard it lots of times. They're all man-made from. Okay, now I need to look it up. But I'm going to look it up and then I'll confirm. <laughs> Let me know. I will. Shauna, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And um, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your heart and your wisdom in this book. And just the words are beautiful. It was one of the easiest reads I've I've had in a long time. I just loved um, just your way with words and, and, and your vulnerability and your honesty. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. It's good to talk with you. All right. You have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, y'all. I am sitting in my car with a laptop and microphone outside of my vacation spot in Flagstaff, Arizona, because I am dedicated to you and to journalistic integrity. So for those of you wondering about lakes in Texas, there is one natural lake in Texas. It's called Caddo Lake and all the rest are man-made. So inquiring minds want to know there you go. I hope you enjoyed this chat with Sean and Equist, and thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Well, that's all that we have for today's episode of the Inspired to Action podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know that there are a million things that you could be doing right now, and I hope that this episode has encouraged you. You know, if you have any questions or suggestions for me, just head over to inspiredtoaction.com and click the contact button to send me an email. I would love to hear from you, and I would love to do whatever I can to get the resources that you need to keep growing as a mom. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you take a minute to rate it on iTunes. That's going to help more moms to find it and get the encouragement that they need. And as always, you can check out all the show notes for this session at inspiredtoaction.com. And you can also download any of our free ebooks or our free prayer calendars for moms at the blog. Just go to inspiredtoaction.com and click on the resources link. And my name is Kat Lee, and I wish you an incredible day with your family. And remember, you're a mom. You're kind of a big deal. Now go be awesome. It's early in the morning.
bow before the throne of a noble king. And in this place, my heart begins to sing. It's gonna be a good day, a good day filled with His grace, His grace and sweet new mercy. 